Hello and welcome to the Community Power Podcast, a new weekly series brought to you by the Local Trust and the Community Wealth Fund, campaigning to ensure the next wave of dormant assets is committed to supporting our communities. My name is Chris Allen and in this series I'm going to be teasing out some of the best examples of what's happening in communities through the experiences of those living and working on the front line. I'll be focusing in particular on what happens when you give local people the money, the power and the assets to make a difference in their neighbourhoods. With me is Beth Lazenby, who is the producer of the series. Where are you sending me this week, Beth? So this week, Chris, we're sending you all the way up to West Cumbria um, to talk to you and Big, Big Local about some of their mental health initiatives that they're carrying out in their area. It is a very beautiful area of the country and a real shame that my visit was only virtual. I had the opportunity to speak with Jazz Dean, who helped lead on the Young Persons We Will initiative. I also heard from community worker Kate Whitmarsh. But first of all, I spoke to big local chair Sharon Barnes and I took her back to where it all began. I can remember seeing a small article in the local paper about it saying that you and me could be chosen as one of the spots that would get the million and we actually rang the contact number in the paper and we met a gentleman in a cafe uptown and had a chat with him and it all sounds a bit dodgy actually doesn't it you know (laughs) advert in the paper got a million quid for you meet me in the cafe it sounds (laughs) and 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 obviously you you had an interest in your community otherwise you wouldn't have responded would you absolutely yeah i was already volunteering in the community centre a couple of days a week anyway. Can you believe actually you were being given a million pounds and actually it was no. really residents that made the decision? No, we still thought there'd be a clause somewhere along the line. Yeah. And when we first set off, we would put information out saying we were going to hold a meeting and honestly there was about 50 folk in here of which there was maybe half a dozen residents. There was all these groups that were going to do it and all they wanted was the money. Right. And it had been done before. So they they come in, spend money and then just disappear as fast as they come in which obviously didn't work because they've been doing it for years. And also any pot of funding that we, we've had before, there was always that element of rules, regulation that you had to stick by, whereas with the local trust, there isn't any, as long as that's what the residents want. And how did you begin to find out in those days what was really needed? Mental health is a big issue in our estate. We had somebody from university, I think it was Cumbria University, did some research for us and, and the statistics were just awful and plus hearing you know people off the estates own experience with it where kids you know they were just at the end of the tether and oh yeah you'll get the first appointment it's in nine months and and ludicrous like absolutely ludicrous if they're that bad that they need assessing they need help now and and what about mental health among say men which is often highlighted because obviously suicide rate in men is a lot higher than that of women as well did that come out oh yeah yeah one of the first things we did was we we had some mental health training and and the figures are astounding and we have things like in Cumbria we have tourism suicides that means where they've picked a nice lake to go and do I didn't even know there was such a word because it's the lakes then our our figures are high and and men as well Men don't meet for a coffee and get the little bits off the chest, whereas women do. Women can sit and natter. Men, it's not seen to be the done thing to do. And and in the area of the country you're in, obviously hit by high unemployment at times and men losing their, you know, what, what kept them going, being the owner of the household and things like that. That's another massive impact on them. Absolute massive impact on and and an impact on the younger generation, because if you don't see your father going out to work, with his bait box in the morning, then what is the enthusiasm or the drive for you to do 
to go and get a job, to do what you want to do, or to actually know you can do what you want to do. So it was a vicious circle. So there you are. You're seeing all this data coming through. You've got academics helping you to identify that it's really true. You know it anyway. And I'm going to say you've only got a million quid, which might sound a lot at the time, but it's only a million quid. What can you do as residents that hasn't been done before? GPs we had a really close tie with, which was really, really good. And basically the, the doctors were saying there are so many people who are at the doctors but don't necessarily need a description to solve the problem but where else do you go so they were kind enough to give us a room where we tried out the hugamug design and all it basically is is you can have a chat if that's all you want to do going for a free cup of coffee have a chat it's a safe place it's from our point of view it was the only place in maryport with the highest higher footfall so the doctors could recommend it if they wanted to or they just fell across it and in it's to signpost them because some of the mental health was just due to money issues, family issues that a prescription wouldn't actually do any good for. Nowadays, it's called social prescribing. You no, called no. it hug a mug. <laughs> where, where did, I like hug a mug, I think, more than social prescribing. Tell us about the hug a mug idea and how that came about and how that it sounds a very friendly way of engaging with people. Again, it was through mainly through the statistics of the doctors of repeat appointments where they really couldn't help them but obviously they couldn't say that and also um, when we were doing our surveying or just discussions there was a lot of people who who also wanted to help wanted to do something but didn't know how so the hug and mug idea came about because we might need a, a non-recorded safe place for people to go so if you go in there, there can't be any of this or they're going to get me doctor's notes out and have a look at this and there's nothing like that we don't even record your names it's completely anonymous we then trained some volunteers in listening and mental health first aid and we had quite a few businesses who were interested in volunteering staff to do turns in the hug and mug so basically they went in they had a cup of coffee if they wanted to talk confidentially even then they could or even chatting to somebody else you find out different things that are going on so really it's a lot of signposting but also it's a lot a lot of listening and I'm going to bring in the whole value for money kind of question here because you know the amount of money you're saving the NHS with time through doing that and and you've been given a room to meet in you've got you've got the mugs and you've got volunteers you must have been supporting people I know you weren't doing it to sort of save the public purse but it's, it's not rocket science, is it, to say this is worth doing? Absolutely not. The last last one we did when we, we were summing up a year was um, it can free up four days a month for a, a GP, about 1,500 GP visits a year, which is about £45,000 a year that saves them. But it's not only that, it's the ability to give people steps to go on to better themselves, to get them back in employment, to stop them getting the prescriptions to actually be a champion for the community. You know, if he can do it, I can. And this is what I did to do what I'm doing. Trips to A&E when they got to the end of their tethers. It's trying to get somebody before they reach that crisis point. And even if they go and go and talk to somebody for 10 minutes, the crisis is less than for 10 minutes, which saves the money on the ambulances, the doctor's time, benefits. I mean, if these people eventually get their jobs, get jobs that they want to do but feel they can't, you know, then that's even more money out. They're holding their own. 
That's the chair of Ewan Rig Big Local, Sharon Barnes. Uh, Jazz Dean was a volunteer with the Hug and Mug initiative and then later went on to be one of the founders of the We Will campaign, which was funded by Ewan Rig Big Local but was led by young people, including Jazz, who wanted to address mental health issues for their age group on a national scale. I asked her what the key aspect was of engaging young people. I think the main kind of notion of our campaign was to like listen better to young people um and listen like and actually listening and we do and honestly like you think it's such a simple word but listening and hearing are two very different things um and I think it's like the key aspect is like listening to what issues young people actually want to work on and listening to experiences um and listening to their own kind of situations and that can come in so many different aspects in schools apprenticeships amongst friends and I think yeah I think that's the main thing we thought about kind of for engaging young people yeah there's a whole difference in the world between uh, listening and and hearing how old were you when you first got involved so um I was 16 yeah I just um I just got into year 12 so yeah I was 16 so what drew you in? Because engaging young, engaging residents full stop has been difficult in big local. Engaging young people has been even more difficult. What was it that made you say, I'm going to get involved with this? I think, to be honest, like it's probably personal experience and also just caring about kind of my peers at school and also caring about us having a voice in our community. So I think I've struggled with I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I've struggled with OCD and anxiety um, and depressions. So I think personally, I felt like it was a kind of um, an issue that kind of really resonated with me and mattered a lot to me. I'd seen a lot of my friends suffer the same. I don't think it's understood. I saw a physical difference in school about how people talked about it, which is, again, one of the successes of the campaign, partly the campaign and partly just just more kind of talking about it. I did also know Kate beforehand and um, I knew that she was involved in a local trust and obviously mental health was one of the kind of aspects in the community so we'd had conversations as well and I think that was another aspect that made me want to get involved because I thought it was really really important. I think the stigma around mental health emotional well-being has been taken away a little bit it's okay not to be okay kind of stuff. Yeah I think it is but I feel like I feel like our kind of aim in the campaign was never I mean obviously I'm not saying it wasn't to reach the stigma but I feel like it was mainly more about kind of action I don't know I guess I feel like there's better ways to kind of put in your kind of efforts into campaigning but I, I definitely do think that amongst young people there is awareness amongst everyone that it is yeah as you say okay not to be okay I think though amongst I would say amongst like the older generation I still think there's a definite stigma around it i think that's kind of undeniable especially around men is there a difference between um young young people's level between male and female as well that are lads sort of less more likely to keep their mouths shut and girls are more likely to share how they feel i think yeah definitely i think what sharon was saying before about how women are more likely to go for a coffee and speak about their feelings that that rings true amongst young people as well i think it's not as normal for guys to kind of go and have a coffee and talk about their feelings. And you talked about the importance of listening and listening and hearing young people. Is listening something you naturally have a skill at or is it something you can learn? Is it something we can all learn? Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, I think it is something that we can learn. I think it's just, I don't know, I think our kind of thing is free, it's simple and it makes like kind of the biggest difference. The main thing we found was, say, if you're kind of talking to someone who's kind of saying that they're struggling with their own experiences I think 
it's not kind of jumping in straight away and being like, oh, I've had that same experience. Oh, here, let me talk about this. It's like, they don't necessarily want that. Normally people have already thought in their own mind, like that, what they're going to do. They understand themselves better than you understand them. But I think that sometimes it's just offloading on someone is kind of can make the biggest difference. And you called it the We Will campaign. What was the thinking behind that? It's, like, it's a great title. It's got real dynamism to it. The name or just in general? The well, just the, well, the name to start with, because it's got yeah. some real determination. Yeah, I think I, I actually do remember. I remember us all kind of talking like about the kind of name of it and saying how like it is actually pretty important. That's the thing that's going to be on the logo, logos. That's the thing that people are going to first hear about. And I feel like We Will, obviously, I think it's, is very much like we inclusive and also we will it's just it's saying that it's a definite we are, are going to achieve this we want something that was very much like no we are going to make a difference this is affecting our livelihoods and we can we will be different so yeah um the amount of times we said to kate we will and she just got sick of it <laughs> <laughs> that's jazz dean one of the young people who were leading the we will initiative up in ewan rig big local she gave a mention there to kate kate is kate whitmarsh who is the community worker and when i spoke to her i put it to her that she must have one of the best jobs in the world absolutely yeah <laughs> And you've you've obviously heard what's being said. What's from your perspective as you've seen this grow and develop, especially the young people's work, but also the hug and mug work as well? What what's been your kind of insights into this? So I, I think to an extent that it's happened naturally, but I, I think it's also happened because of certain things. And I think those those things, those factors have been um the investment of lot of lottery funding. So um money is power, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we could not have done without investment. And I think as Sharon said, it was the fact that the investment went directly to the community and our governance mentor community that made those decisions. That was a factor. And I think the fact that we had time because we were given 10 years. Um, and as you said, between pounds and 10 years, it's, it's nowhere near enough. We need 20 to 30 years, especially with the impact of COVID. But it was much more than you know we could have hoped for. And I think what that's given us is it's given us an infrastructure that we could build up from. And it's meant that we've had employed staff so we will, for example, the ideas and the energy and how they do it and what they try to achieve has come from young people. And that has been beautiful to watch because it, they've gone about things in, in a way that as adults, we I don't think we would ever would have have gone about it in that way and they've done it much more successfully than we would have done and they've also they've had their voice heard more than I think adults would have done but underneath that there's been paid staff time to help coordinate and facilitate that and budget to help them do what they want to do so like for us travel is an issue you know it's difficult to travel it's expensive to travel budget which you know when they get got the opportunity to present in Westminster it meant that we could you know that cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds so it, these things they have happened naturally but they've also happened with time and resource and permission and power and I think the other thing is is that you know when when we go right back to the beginning it also took a while to get the power dynamics right so that residents felt like they were in control and they were confident enough to speak and the same with We Will, I feel like some of the youngsters in We Will, it took them a couple of years to really start saying what they think and not what they think you want 
them to say. So it, it, it has taken time. Time is what we should expect to be taken, shouldn't it, when we're dealing with issues around mental health? I, I totally agree. And I think that's why this process works and traditional preventative health approaches don't work because what we've done is try to work with the cultures that exist in the area, whereas a lot of preventative health initiatives are stop smoking, don't eat sweets, you know, don't drink, don't do this. And I think we all know that we don't need to be told that. And it actually it makes things worse, not better. That's Ewan Rigg community worker Kate Whitmarsh. Before that, we heard from Jazz Dean, one of the young people leading on the We Will campaign. And first of all, we caught up with big local chair Sharon Barnes. Where can we find out more information, Beth? As always, you can find all you need to know in the show notes, including some of We Will's amazing resources to share. Thanks, Beth. And yes, we're going to have another Community Power podcast coming your way very soon along that virtual road. The podcast is brought to you by the Local Trust and the Community Wealth Fund campaigning to ensure the next wave of dormant assets is committed to supporting our communities.